Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and we have a great show lined up for you today. It is the third part of our six-part series with Agreco, and this show will be discussing microgrids. Uh, but first, before we get started with talking to Agreco uh, in studio, I did want to talk briefly about an upcoming event called Energy Summit, and it's a partnership in place with Steer and Texoga, and of course, and the Oil Patch Radio Show is supporting it. And now we have Omar Garcia, the president of South Texas Energy and Economic Roundtable, better known as Steer. Omar, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks, Kim. Always great to be back on the show. Well, you know, uh, we haven't had a, an opportunity to catch up with you guys in a while. Y'all have been extremely busy. But you all have a brand new Energy Summit coming to San Antonio on May 31st. It's a Thursday. It's a luncheon from 11 a.m. to 1.30 at the beautiful Pearl Staples. Tell me a little bit about what is the mission of this Energy Summit that's being partnered with Texoga, which is a Texas uh, Oil and Gas Association as well. Absolutely. This is an exciting opportunity that Steer is partnering with Texoga to bring the first ever energy summit to San Antonio. This is a summit specifically to talk about oil and gas, to talk about the impact that the industry has in San Antonio. Uh, we have a great lineup of speakers, you know, headlined by Valero CEO Joe Gorder, uh, Texas Comptroller Glenn Hager, uh, Texas Representative Barbara Gervin Hawkins, Texas Representative Lyle Larson. Texas Senator Donna Campbell, and we also have Marathon's Vice President of Resource Plays South, Todd Abbott. So very, very dynamic uh, list of speakers that are going to talk about uh, the importance of the oil and gas industry in San Antonio and how the role it plays to the local economy. You know, Omar, that's so important because I think that we are so close, the city of San Antonio, the city of San Antonio is so close to the Eagle Ford and it kind of sits in between the Permian Basin. And yet the business community, I believe, sometimes struggles to understand how really the oil and gas exploration that's going on in this state really is. San Antonio is one of the greatest benefactors. Will that be covered in your summit? Absolutely. You have companies that are headquartered or have regional offices in San Antonio that are working in the Permian Basin, that are working in Eagleford Shell. Um, the impact that the oil and gas industry is having on this community is tremendous. Um, it's an opportunity for people to learn also what the oil and gas industry does for the state of Texas, how it funds schools, how it funds roads, how it funds emergency services. If, you, if you're not really familiar with what the oil and gas industry does or what it contributes to the state of Texas, I invite you to come to this event. It's at a very cost-effective rate. It's $15 uh, per person if you would like to attend. Uh, you can go to SanAntonioEnergySummit.com. You can register. Uh, again, it'll be at the Pearl Brewery, as you mentioned, on Thursday, May 31st from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And that does that $15 include lunch? Yes, it does. Amazing. So... Just to recap, May 31st, it's a Thursday, 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the beautiful Pearl Stables. Where do they go to get more information or to purchase the tickets? Sure. The website is sanantonioenergysummit.com. That's sanantonioenergysummit.com. 
Okay, Omar. Well, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you out there as we're one of y'all's partners and sponsors of this very, very important energy summit. Now I'd like to welcome our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, happy to be here. Boy, some uh, really amazing news hit late yesterday. And that is, of course, that President Trump decided to pull us out of the Iran deal. And um, that is causing all kinds of waves <laughs> on both sides, <laughs> yeah. right? On both sides. So if you pay attention to a lot of the main media outlets, they are really coming out with some very amazing uh, opinions, uh, these experts, on that oil prices are going to spike. And I mean, it's all over the place with opinions of um, this is going to be good, this is going to be bad. Um, uh, and I think the biggest one that's obviously catching a lot of people's attention is this uh, belief that some experts, or so they say their experts, are saying that we could actually see $100 a barrel, if not more. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> well, okay, let me let me qualify that a little bit. I mean, we could end up having $100 oil at some point again, uh, just because the global market is tightening up so dramatically. Um, and as long as the OPEC countries and Russia... Uh, hold firm on their export limitation agreement, you know, if they want to drive the price up that high, theoretically, they could do that. But but Trump pulling us out of the Iran deal isn't going to do that. Um, it, people don't understand that all that means is we're going to re-implement sanctions on Iran that existed prior to 2015 when all that went into effect. And the net effect of those sanctions by the end of this year could be, could be qualified uh, that 300 to 400,000 barrels of crude oil are taken off the global market. Well, the global market's 95 million barrels of crude oil every day. So you're talking about three-tenths of 1% of global production, first of all. Now, that's not going to drive the crude oil price up $30, another $30 a barrel. It just isn't. And second of all, uh, you know, President Trump, people always forget or some people just can't understand it, that he views everything as a negotiation. So yes, he's announced the U.S. is going to uh, stop adhering to that agreement. But what does that mean? Well, what it mainly means is he wants to renegotiate it to more favorable terms for the United States and its national security interests. And that's exactly what's going to be happening uh, you know, in the coming months, is, is the United States is going to try to engage with Iran and the other countries like France and England, who are also signatories to that agreement, to try to renegotiate it to better terms. And, and that may well end up happening, you know? I mean, people in the media never thought we were going to have the end of the Korean War on the Korean Peninsula, but we do now. That, that war's ended because of Trump's diplomatic efforts. Uh, we just had this week Three longtime political prisoners held by North Korea returned to their homes because of President Trump's diplomacy with North Korea. So anyone who says, you know, he can't renegotiate this deal favorably just is living is not living in the real world. Well, I think that they just don't quite understand his style. Right. That, you know, I, I think a, it's reasonable to think why is anybody incentivized to change something if it's in their benefit? They're not. You have to pull that back to try to start that negotiations. And and it appears that's what he is attempting to do. Right. Um, understanding all of uh, the situation with 
uh, oil and and how this is going to change things, I think that he really didn't have an option except to start from uh, from the bottom. And obviously looking at their reaction, of course, uh, burning the American flag again and, and, and yelling death to America again. Um, you know, you got to start somewhere. And so um, I, I think as long as it didn't destabilize um, the uh, energy sector too much, which it appears that that was actually um, thought about and, and they ran through the traps to make sure this would not happen. Sure. Uh, why, why would we not do this? I mean, and, and I've read some commentary that is just talking about how bad it is that we're, you know, alone. The way that he does things is is more America uh, great together or America alone together. And it's you have to think about it from a standpoint. We've we've learned bad behavior or these bad actors have learned that the United States is soft and uh, they have to just like a child be treated uh, a certain way to get their attention. Uh, so I don't think it's America alone i think it's america cleaning up uh past failed administrations uh going back three or four presidents uh, but so your thought is that oil will kind of just stabilize or stay where it is well i mean yeah it, so in the day after trump's announcement it went up a couple of dollars a barrel and it may go up a little more than that or it may not i mean the the, the fact of the matter is the crude oil market was already just about balanced uh, before any announcement was made, and all the all the factors were pointing to stronger crude prices between now and the end of the year, and I, I still think that's going to take place. We may see the price of for West Texas Intermediate go up to seventy five dollars here between now and the end of the year, maybe even a little higher than that. But that's not because of the Rand thing; it's just because the overall global market is rebalanced, and so there's no longer a big glut of crude oil on the market. So prices are naturally going to tend to rise slowly over time. And that's probably what's going to happen. Well, and I also think that, you know, in some of the uh, trade discussions that have been occurring, President Trump once again has been very specific that they will look at making sure that the oil sector, because it's such an important, vital resource to the United States, will have or be excluded from any tariffs or anything. So I think that, that the oil and gas sector is pretty insulated in him understanding what's driving everything uh, in the United States, and that's oil and gas. Right. Uh, just as we're doing this interview, I see a headline that says, Goldman Sachs predicts oil prices are going to hit $82.50 by summer because of the Iran thing. Well, let's all remember that Goldman Sachs also thought in January, just four months ago, was saying oil prices weren't going to go above $55 a barrel. So Goldman Sachs doesn't have any idea what the price of oil is going to do, right? <laughs> because they don't understand the market. But neither you do, do because you've been well, in this business for 30 years. <laughs> so yeah. that's why you're our resident <laughs> energy expert, David. And with that, we do have to close. But I look forward to having you back next week when I'm sure we'll have something new that's popped up that we can talk about. We always do. <laughs> I know. Until then, have a great weekend. All right, you too. Thanks. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, David Dickard, the head of oil and gas for the Americas for Agreco, will be joining us in studio talking about microgrids on a third part of a six-part series. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. (music) 
in the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. WTI reached a new multi-year high yesterday. This came after the announcement by President Trump that the U.S. would exit the Iranian nuclear deal and reimpose sanctions. This was followed by several refiners in Asia saying that they would immediately begin to seek alternatives to their Iranian crude supplies. In addition, markets were lifted when it was announced that the U.S. hit a new high in crude production, reaching 10.7 million barrels a day. However, despite this record production, both crude and refined product inventories dropped by 2.2 million barrels last week. WTI ended the trading session up $1.20 to $71.24 a barrel. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Oil-filled experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil-filled equipment needs. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Dickert, the head of oil and gas for the Americas for Agreco. David, thank you again for coming in um, and helping break down, first of all, the energy sector, but most importantly, what is Agreco doing and what is their part in helping this Today, we're actually going to talk about something that probably not very many people have heard, (laughs) and that term is microgrids. So let me break down for the public or for our listeners, what is a microgrid? Microgrids are deployed all over the world, and they're definitely in use in the United States. Navigate Research defines a microgrid as a distribution network that incorporates a variety of possible distributed energy resources that can be optimized and aggregated into a single system that can balance loads and generation with or without energy storage and is capable of islanding, whether connected or not connected, to a traditional utility power grid. That's a lot. What is that? (laughs) So... So yeah, that is quite a bit. <clears throat> um, simply put, it's um, it's a group of generators connected to um, a utility power line system, overhead distribution. So, you know, as you're driving down the road and you look and you you see the power lines, you know, all those power lines are going back to a, a centralized substation. That substation is then uh, going back to a power plant, where it's either has um, a uh, nuclear power plant, a coal power plant, a uh, natural gas power plant. Um, and these are very large-scale power plants, right? So this um, this power plant connects to electrical distribution systems that, that, that uh, take power for miles and miles and miles. A mini-grid or a micro-grid is replicating that on a very small scale. So it's a group of generators operating together, connecting to uh, a uh, overhead distribution system or a power line system, and it's a very efficient way uh, to transmit and produce power for customers to where the utility grid either doesn't exist or is uh, is overloaded or taxed. So um, we uh, we operate standalone island systems with microgrids. 
Uh, we work with utilities in parallel with their existing system and put a microgrid in place with the utility system. So we operate microgrids on a lot of different scales, and they can be really small from something to run uh, two or three or four production pads, and they can become really large to where they can operate, um, you know, whole cities if we need to. Now, we know that, I mean, typically most folks really don't even think about when you go and you turn on your lights or, uh, you know, you just have access to power. And the only time you really think about, well, how is all this put together is when you actually have a power outage. Right. Um, most of the large municipalities don't experience a whole lot of that, but rural really does. And, of course, where the majority of the drilling is occurring is out in rural areas. So I would think that this microgrids are extremely important, um, of course, to the energy sector. And, and Agreco has been able to look at what are the problems and try to come up with a solution. I want to ask you, though, um, what areas do you see utilizing microgrids the most? So is it, um, is it obviously Permian Basin where it's somewhat desolate and, uh, you know, out there on their own? Or are, are all the shell plays primarily using uh, microgrids, I would imagine? But are there other areas that are really utilizing this technology? So we're seeing the, uh, an increase for demand uh, for microgrids in the Permian Basin right now because of the, the large amount of activity that's going on. Right. But um, um, there are a lot of areas that should be using microgrids that aren't using them today. Um, Why is that? Think, think, think about it this way. So, and let's just talk about artificial lift. We have individual um, uh, artificial lift uh, stations or production platforms within a particular area, and each one of them has their own individual generator on site, right? So that generator that's on site that's operating that artificial lift system most of the time only operates at about 30%, 40% capacity. Hmm. The, the, the power is on site to get everything started. It takes more power to start everything and get everything operational. Once it's running, the power demand t tends to go down. So on average, these machines are operating at, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 percent capacity. What a microgrid allows you to do is scale out all that inefficiency. So you're putting a larger power generation plant, and instead of individually powering those, you're powering uh, five, 10, 15, 20, up to 50, 100, however many you want to at any given time. So what happens is is your microgrid is highly efficient with the power that it's producing because you scale out all of that uh, starting power that you would need individually at those sites. The other inefficiency, the other efficiency, should I say, that the microgrid brings is when you're able to connect the field gas with the microgrid so you eliminate the need to bring in additional fuel sources like diesel fuel or transport LNG or CNG. So if you can if you can locate yourself where a flare is at and you're flaring the gas, well then you divert that gas that's going to flare, you send it to a 10 megawatt or a 5 megawatt microgrid to power 25 or 30 production pads. All of a sudden now you're getting extremely efficient. 
Yes. And it's almost getting to the cost of what you would pay for normal utility because your fuel cost is non-existent because you're using fuel right. that you would normally flare. Yeah. So it's basically free fuel, right? Exactly. Um, and the challenge for microgrids is you have to build out the overhead distribution. David, with that, I do have to take a quick break. But when we return, I want to get back on how power grids are built out. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. From the industry's toughest frack equipment manufacturer comes the latest innovation in frack sand delivery. Introducing Sandforce, the new frack sand delivery system from Dragon. The unique design, double drop gravity fed discharge system is trailer mounted and unloads the standard 25 tons in less than 12 minutes. So go ahead, give yourself an unfair advantage. Put the power of Sandforce to work for you today. Call 800-231-8198. Again, that number is 800-231-8198 or visit dragonsandforce.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. Our guest today is David Dickard, the head of oil and gas of the Americas with the Greco. And David, before the break... We were talking about microgrids, and before the break, you were talking about how companies are actually utilizing a recycling type of process if they can get near where they would normally be flaring this natural gas, they're reusing it. So talk to me a little bit about how a microgrid is set up. One, I guess you have to build out this infrastructure on right, the microgrid right. is what you're saying. So, Right. So a couple of the challenges that, that's faced with putting a microgrid in is you have to get right away on land. Right. So you have multiple landowners out in the oil field and um, you have to get right away to build out overhead distribution. And that overhead distribution, you know, it ranges. It's anywhere from 75,000 to 100,000, 125,000 a mile to build out 20,000 volt overhead distribution. So you get right away from landowners and, and you have the initial cost that you put in place that um, that you have to, to build out the uh, overhead distribution. Well, you're going to have to build that out anyway because eventually you have to get utility to these sites. For the long-term solution, you're going to operate on utility. Um, however, let's just talk about the efficiencies that a microgrid brings. So we see anywhere from a 50 to a 60% reduction in overall cost from going from single-site generation to a microgrid. 
So regardless of That's the size, it's it's a it's a lot. And so you start thinking about, well, I've got to I've got to put all this capital into building out overhead distribution. I've got to put some effort into getting right away with landowners. And there's a cost that comes with that, but the payback on that cost happens very quickly uh, because of the savings that you're able to provide with a microgrid. And the other thing is because the microgrid is so flexible, let's say that in the middle of your oil field you have a landowner that, well, they don't want to see electrical distribution across their land. Well, then you put two microgrids in. So you stop. You don't have to deal with that landowner right now. You stop a microgrid in this area, and then you just put, instead of putting one, you put two, and you just route around where that challenge is with landowners of, of running of running power line. Um, and then eventually, you know, you have to put a permanent solution in place for your utility. But the beauty of the microgrid is the overall cost profile um, is so close to utility, it's not such a cost burden to your production. So when I say that there are more and more cases um, out in the oil field that we should be using microgrids, that's why I make that statement. So what I hear you saying is that the operators are getting wise to what a great investment it is to be using the microgrid. And um, it's good. I I mean, I I can't see a fault with that because it is really saving them money and it is good for the environment again. (laughs) Right. It is. There is a fault. There is there is a big challenge that you have to face. Okay, what's that? It's reliability. Okay. So think about it. So you have um, a field that has 25 individual production sites and each one of those stations has a generator so you have 25 generators if one of those generators on those 25 fields stops running you just lose one field of production the other 24 are still producing when you move to a microgrid if you're not a hundred percent reliable if you're not able to drive reliability that is similar to utility or better if that microgrid goes down, you lose your entire production. That's not good. That's not good. So, But uh, you guys also have ARM, which it, is your remote. That's right. That's right. So that, that's the point. There, You have to engineer reliability into this solution. So we do a lot of microgrids, and we have a lot of success behind putting microgrids into action. You have to make sure that you've engineered reliability within to it, and you have to make sure that you have an infrastructure like our remote monitoring system uh, that monitors the site and gives us real-time readings of how things are performing. And uh, if there's an issue, it it flags us, and we're able to correct that issue before it becomes an outage-type issue. So you have to engineer, and you have to have solutions in place that almost guarantee reliability because... While you gain the efficiency with the microgrid, if it's not reliable, then it, you're going to lose all of that efficiency. Right. So, um, And if you're not monitoring, who knows how long if right. it goes down, how long it's been offline, if you will. And that's, that's right. definitely not a, a good scenario. Can, can I uh, go back and kind of drill down? Walk me through, you know, most of us don't really realize how an oil rig begins and the type of scenario in which it's required to power it up. I mean, I think everybody sees as they're driving along the freeway um, a rig up and it's operational, but a real understanding of where it begins and how do you get power when you look out and there is no power lines, there's absolutely nothing. This is a good scenario to help us all understand. This is exactly what what need we need to figure out a solution for the energy sector 
Um, it needs to be done in an efficient and, of course, environmentally friendly way. And um, so I want to talk about how does one oil rig get started and how is a Greco plane a part in that. But, David, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get on that subject. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to an Old Patch Radio Show. My good friends over there at Oilfield Experts has been buying and selling sand for years. Go ahead and give Clint a call at 210-471-1923. Again, that number is 210-471-1923. You might not know that you actually have money sitting on the ground. So if you have sand, go ahead and give our friends at Oilfield Experts a call at 210-471-1923. And don't forget, if you're in the business to buy sand, go ahead and give Clint a call. He gives very competitive prices. Once again, that number is 210-471-1923. 210-471-1923. And tell him that Kim sent you. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com, or you can call us, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Dickard with Agreco. And David, we've we've been on this discussion of microgrids. Uh, what are they? How is the oil and gas maximizing efficiency, uh, utilizing greener technology? And this is one another great way that they are taking advantage of it. And, and Agreco is coming online with these uh, great products. But I want to let's back up a little bit. Before the break, I was talking about it's. It's hard to understand and imagine how does a rig go up and how does it get power when if you look out, it's surrounded by a thousand acres and there's absolutely no power lines anywhere in sight. Um, And all you see is a road that leads in where all of the uh, uh, workers and the trucks and everything necessary to get the site up. Mm -hmm. How how is a microgrid utilized in that sense of powering up a rig or how does a rig get powered up and get that initial power to bring it online how does it come on right so generally um when the drilling starts it's 15 to 30 day process to 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 drill the well um and you know as the drilling rig comes in it generally comes in with its own generators they're diesel generators um they're they're with the with the rig themselves so they go ahead and they 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 drill the hole and and uh then they put the infrastructure on site of however they're going to produce that particular well for long term, right? Right. And there's a lot of different ways that that, that happens. Um, where we're seeing microgrids come into play with supporting the drilling aspect is that we're seeing more multi-well pads come into production. Especially in Permian Basin. Exactly. There's a lot more coming online. <clears throat> so what happens is, is a drilling rig is going to go on site. It, drill one, it drills one hole, and then it moves 
you know, relatively close proximity to that one and drills another one and then drills another one and another one. And, um, you know, up in Western Canada, we're seeing areas that have 30 wells on one pad. And when you, when you get to that type of scale, it's how can you more efficiently produce the power for the drilling rig? Exactly. Well, it's in the form of a microgrid. So yeah. instead of utilizing the diesel generators, we put an uh, electrical infrastructure on site at the, at the drilling pad. So the first well is drilled, and then once that, that well comes into production, we utilize the gas off of that well to power the rig and operate the rest of the drilling area. So it's not as prevalent right now in the Permian Basin, but the more that this multi-well pad expands out, um, there's applications uh, to do it a different way that's more efficient for both the producer and the environment. Interesting. Once utilities are run out there and they can now move to that type of power, Um, are these microgrids still in place? Are they still utilized? What happens when right. utilities come into play? So there's a load study that the utility begins to do uh, because they have to build out long-term infrastructure. So here's how a microgrid really makes sense for production. Um, in a lot of cases, as these well pads come online, they first require quite a bit of power. Um, And then over time, the power needed to artificially lift the oil from the ground begins to drop because you're not moving as much water off of the off of the well um, and things begin to stabilize out. So what happens is, is initially, initially when the pad is brought into production, let's say that this pad needs 500 kW. And then over a course of six months, that power drops down to only need, say, 200 kW. And it's going to need 200 kW to produce that pad for the, for the foreseeable future, right? So why should you spend the time and effort to put in a permanent utility with, with the power capacity that you only need for six months? It's an added cost. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's added overhead distribution infrastructure that you really don't need. So where we come into play is we're able to put in the larger power systems that the wells need in that short period of time, and it allows producers to work with a utility to build out utility for the actual need that they're going to need for the long-term future. For the long term. Right. So we're able, to, uh, we're able to scale that cost back. Uh, for that particular producer. So we're seeing a lot of folks that um, uh, will build out overhead distribution and build substations with permanent power, only to find that for the long-term foreseeable future, they're only going to use that at, at, at a 60% capacity. When is if they put in a, a microgrid for six months, eight months to a year, then they can actually build out a smaller system that costs less capital uh, that they're actually going to use for, for long-term, and, and it's more efficient. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, David, how long does it take to put a microgrid in? Okay. So the overhead distribution is what takes the longest. Um, So however fast you can get the land right away and build out the overhead distribution. Um, For us, uh, we've we've got a modular system, and it's fairly quick. So we could put in a 3-megawatt microgrid in a couple of days. We could put a 10 megawatt microgrid in in two weeks, and we could put a 20 megawatt microgrid in in a month. 
So it's very quick to, to, uh, to install, and uh, it's very quick to get up into operation, and it comes out in half the time it takes it to put in. So uh, when you build out the microgrid and you want to switch over to utility, it's just a matter of closing fuses and connecting it to the utility, and within a matter of weeks we're gone and you never knew we were there. Well, this is something a little off topic, but as we start seeing these uh, this technology coming online, it gives me hope that even uh, communities that are rural that deal with a lot of blackouts and stuff like that, I think we will see as we develop more technology in that area, not necessarily in oil and gas, uh, just better utilities and less interruption with the utilities um, as we start seeing this technology come online. Great. David, we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong, serving independence, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. And we're back. Our guest today is David Dickard, head of oil and gas for the Americas for Greco. And David, before the break, well, actually, this whole show has been built around microgrids, trying to understand a little bit more about the technology, how it's being utilized, and most importantly, how it's efficient. And it's definitely helping the operator save money. It's 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 a tight market right now with oil prices hovering around sixty. They're definitely getting more efficient. And, and truly, I think it's companies coming to the rescue to help them uh, continue to see a profit. So, of course, they're encouraged to continue to drill. But how is it that Agreco, or in what way is Agreco doing things that are more energy efficient in the microgrid area mm-hmm. that an operator is taking clear advantage of? Right. I'll talk a little bit about scalability within the microgrid application and um um, I think one of the things that's, that's unique and you have to take advantage of is the uh, um, monitoring technology that's available today. And uh, like a lot of companies, we have our own remote monitoring type scheme that we have in place uh, that supports our business as well as our customers' business. And when you couple that to the microgrid, um, earlier I was talking about power demand changes over time within the microgrid. And if you can monitor and reliably understand what that electrical demand is, you can scale and change the capacity that you have installed with the microgrid and um, either scale up the size of the microgrid over time 
and then reduce the size of the microgrid over time. So, you know, uh, common practice would be to sit down with a client and say, okay, you're going to need 10 megawatts of power here on this microgrid. Well, that's the most you'll ever need. But we're more interested in is what do you need right now? And we want to install the capacity that you need now in real time. So why would you pay for 10 megawatt microgrid when you only need two? Exactly. Right. So what this remote monitoring does for us, it allows us to it allows us to better understand the, the, the demand for electricity. And we will scale up the microgrid over time. So we understand that we need 10 megawatts, but right now today we only need one megawatt. And as the field begins to expand, we begin to expand and grow the microgrid. And as the, the, the wells become more mature and their power demand begins to drop, because right. of what we were talking about earlier, right. we're looking at that load demand through our remote monitoring and we're able to collaborate with the producer and say, look, We've peaked at 10 megawatts. Now we're seeing an 8-megawatt demand. We don't see that changing. Let's reduce the capacity. And really what we're talking about is overall cost. Mm -hmm. So we're able to scale the cost of the power and get really efficient for the producer by, by, by utilizing technology. You know, one of the things when we decided uh, to enter into this partnership to do this six series on just energy as a whole, I really thought about it. And one of my hopes was that we would really start helping the average person listening to the show understand oil and gas is highly technical. It's a great industry to work in, and it's actually an extremely dynamic industry. And it's companies that are thinking ahead and figuring out what the needs are, and especially always thinking about the environment and how to do things better and more efficient. And of course, the operators are just so happy to jump online and save money and give something back to their shareholders. <laughs> well, well, agreed. And and what I think what the industry is really trying to do now, and, and we're trying to play as big a part in this as we can, is begin to shave off those peaks and valleys that the oil and gas industry is known for, the right. boom and the bust, yes. right? And, you know, it, it, why would you go into an industry that you know that a bust is going to come if the boom's happening now? So I think with all these efficiencies that uh, companies like Agreco are putting into play, you begin to shave that off. So you get a more long-term, consistent type of industry that you don't have those peaks and valleys to where you have to fight your way through. True. And the other, I think, important factor is, you know, if you look at world demand on energy, we haven't even peaked it. It's, it keeps coming and more and more and more countries need it and more and more countries are coming online. They found a new uh, reserve in Bahrain just the other day. Um, as, as the world's demand starts growing for energy, I'd like to think, I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that it, it, it is the United States energy producers that are leading the way. In the technology, because if it's developed here, it's developed with EPA standards. That's it's right. developed with regulation. It's mindfully put together that mm -hmm. it's technology that can be utilized in other parts of the country. I'll give you a really good example of that. And and um, um, we do a, a, a lot of work all over the world uh, in offshore and land-based uh, upstream oil and gas. 
And there's a big play that's forming, and it's been forming over the last probably five years down in Argentina. It's uh, the Vaca Morta is, is the shell play, and it's over uh, on the western side outside of Noken, Argentina. And we're playing a big role out in that particular oil field because we're taking the technology and the learning that we have here in North America, and we're working with some of the largest service companies. All the big players here in North America are beginning to go over there and support them, and all this technology is going to help develop the Vaca Morta. And while they may not be thinking about the efficiencies right now, they're getting the benefit of them, and they're not having to recreate the wheel, so to speak. Um, they're getting the, the, the best learning of, of what North America has had. And that's just one example. There's so many more examples that are in other countries, uh, but Argentina is a really good example right now. Excellent, excellent ending to this program. David, that is all the time we have for this show. I look forward to next week when we are on to power systems and automation in in the area of power boosters. But until then, that's the end of the show. Thank you for coming in, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you very much. And that's all the time we have. But be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show. Or follow us on Twitter at Shell Mag. If you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then... Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.